Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of for us to talk about, so stop making excuses and let's get started because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. Here we go, Corey. Number 54. I'm John Taffer. This is my No Excuses podcast. Let's do this. It's July 2nd, buddy. It is. Big July week. 4th weekend coming out. So yep. happy birthday, America. And, you know, we all argue about various political things, and some of us are pro this or feel that way about immigration. Others feel this way. Some feel this way about taxes. Some feel others. Some feel this way about student loans. Others feel other ways. But you know what? We're all blessed to be here because being able to argue with each other and speak our minds is a blessing in itself. So let's just take a minute and be thankful for where we are, where we were born, where we migrated to. Maybe be thankful to our parents for migrating here, our grandparents, great-grandparents for migrating here. Happy birthday, America. It's the greatest country in the world. I am honored to be an American. I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to be talking to all of you today. And none of it would have happened if it wasn't for our great country, the great founding fathers who had the courage to fight for what they believed in, and all of the Americans for 200-plus years who have fought for what they all believed in, small and large, whether they fought for a product they believed in and got it to market, whether they fought for a view and got it to market, whether they thought about a charity and made it happen, thought about a way to help people or make it happen, thought about planting a frickin' tree and made it happen. Hats off to all those Americans who came before us whose decisions hard work placed us here today. And I just hope that we, as a generation, can hand off our country as strong to them as our ancestors handed it to us. So happy birthday, America. Boy, you deserve a big party. So Americans do party oh, on yeah. July 4th, big time. Listen to some of these stats, Corey. It's incredible. 80% of Americans will attend a barbecue, picnic, or cookout on the 4th of July. Wow. 80%? Yeah. How many hot dogs do you think are eaten on Independence Day? Ooh, I don't even want to know. 150 million hot dogs no, are right eaten there. on just Independence Day. And by the way, what is the preferred hot dog condiment? Is it relish, Corey? Is it mustard? Is it ketchup? Personally, you... I'm a ketchup guy. You're a ketchup guy. That's yeah. interesting. 71% of Americans are going to put mustard on their hot dogs. Uh-huh. So you're in a minority, buddy. Yeah. You're one of those people who stood up for what you believe. That's right. To hell with mustard. You're going with ketchup. <laughs> Americans spend $1 billion on beer just for Independence Day. The country's top beer drinking holiday is Independence Day. Boy, I thought Super Bowl was pretty big. And I know Super Bowl is the biggest day for pizza in America. Uh-huh. I did not know, even being in the business, that, that it's the number one beer drinking holiday of all. In 2017, Americans spent $7.1 billion on 4th of July food. <laughs> the average Jeez. U.S. household will spend $73.42 on food just for Independence Day. 80% of American families own a grill. 
and they'll buy you ready for this. They'll buy seven hundred million pounds of chicken. Holy crap! One hundred and ninety million pounds of beef just for Independence Day. <laughs> this is what blows me away. Americans will also spend one hundred and seven million dollars on you ready popsicles. Wow. $167 freaking million dollars on watermelon just for July 4th. Americans will also buy 500 million gallons of ice cream for Independence Day celebrations. And most popular July 4th of July parade candies. So flag butter mints, patriotic bubblegum coins, flag card candies, patriotic twist pops and lollipops. All that stuff sells hugely on July 4th. Wow, it's big business, isn't it? Think about that, boy. Think about the popsicle business, the watermelon business, the ice cream. Wow. This is like their Halloween, so to speak, right. if you're in a costume business. Wow. So there are other opportunities in solving problems related to injuries. 15,000 fireworks displays will be held across the USA on the 4th. 15,000. Jeez. The largest fireworks display in the U.S.? Where would you guess that would be, Corey? I'd say Macy's. You're right. You nailed it. Macy's with 50,000 shells deployed at the rate of 1,600 shells per minute during its 25-minute show. Wow. So they're going to deploy 50,000 pieces of fireworks at the rate of 16 shells per minute for 25 minutes. Imagine a choreography of that show, and it's all timed and done to music. Years ago, I was actually not too, about two years ago, I was staying down at Disney World. And I was staying at the Four Seasons at Disney World, and I was giving some speeches or something down there. And, uh, oh, no, I was shooting Bar Rescue because I was in a hotel for about three and a half weeks. And my terrace overlooked the Magic Kingdom. That was about a, maybe a quarter of a mile away. And that week they were practicing their new fireworks shows. And I had never seen this before. And I only knew it because it said in the newspaper that Disney was going to be practicing fireworks at midnight. And they didn't want the local residents to freak out when they heard explosions in the sky at midnight. Ah, okay. So when I read that in the paper, I said, I'm going to watch this. So I watched. And every night for about two weeks, they did a little fireworks. The next night, they did a little more. The next week, they, the next night, they did like two segments. Then they blended the segments. Then they did a third segment. Then a fourth segment. Then they added the lasers in. Now it's like a week later. Now they got the segments going and they got the lasers added in. Now you hear the music start to get layered in. And I watched them build that fireworks show over about two weeks. It was an incredible thing. But boy... Even that, as impressive as the Disney show is, is nowhere near 50,000 shells deployed right. at 16 yeah. shells per minute for 25 minutes. Wow. The retail sales of fireworks for Independence Day are estimated at $710 million. An average of 690 people visit the ER for fireworks-related <laughs> injuries each July 4th. So I'm guessing hospitals are staffing for this because they know we're going to screw up and blow our fingers off yep. and stuff. Incredible. Most injured body parts by fireworks. Well, hands and fingers, 36%. Shoot, eyes, 19%. That screwed up. Trunks, 11%. What the hell is a trunk? Uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Legs, 10%. Arms, 5%. More than 50% of fireworks-related injuries are burns. Sparklers are the leading cause of fireworks-related injuries, reaching temperatures of more than 1,200 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. Here's another interesting statistic. More pets go missing around July 4th than any other time of year due to noisy fireworks. There's a 30 to 60% increase in lost pets between July 4th and July 6th. I'm guessing the explosions freak them out, maybe disorient them, or they run away, and then they get lost. 
Wow, that's terrible. Here's some cool travel statistics. 44.2 million Americans will travel over 50 miles. 85% will drive to their destinations, and 3.2 million will fly at an average cost of a domestic ticket of about $366. That's a lot of freaking money people are spending. 13.3% of Americans will travel or vacation on July 4th, and the most popular July 4th destination, Orlando. Followed by Vancouver, Cancun, and Seattle. Oh, wait a second. Yeah, I don't know. What? Why would people go to Vancouver, Canada for July 4th? Right. There's no July 4th in Canada. I don't know about that statistic. Uh, I'm going to challenge that, baby. But that's what they say. Orlando followed by Vancouver, Cancun, and Seattle? Oh, come on. Seattle gets more people on July 4th weekend than Las Vegas? I don't buy it, Corey. Yeah, no way. I bet we have over a million visitors on July 4th. Las Vegas is now tracking at about $44 million this year. It's damn close to a million a week. Independence Day is the most dangerous day of the year for travelers with 1.5 million DUI arrests and 115 million suspected to be drinking and driving. Wow. Okay, here's some patriotic stuff. You love patriotic stuff. You're a patriot. Oh, yeah. So of course. Um, the average American household spends $346 on Independence Day food, beverages, transportation, and supplies. 28% of consumers plan on purchasing more patriotic items. 65 of consumers already own a U.S. flag. 53% own patriotic-themed apparel, such as T-shirts and stuff. $4.4 million worth of American flags are going to be sold uh, uh, for July 4th weekend. Mostly, where do you think they're made? Uh, probably from China. Yeah, they are mostly imported from China. So China's making big money on July 4th, yeah. no surprise. 60% of Americans display an American flag. 63% of Americans attend the fireworks display, 32% of Americans watch a parade, and in 2017, enough red, white, and blue balloons were sold to lift 10 Liberty Bells. There wow. you have it. Other things are Congress at work for July 4th weekend. It's National Postage Worker Day and Postage Stamp Day. National Creative Ice Cream Flavors Day, <laughs> National Ginger Snap Day, National Anisette Day, huh. National Fried Clam Day, Eat Your Beans Day. I'm not going out with you that day, Corey. I'm staying the hell away. All right. Yeah, I'm not going near my wife on Eat Your Beans Day either. <laughs> <laughs> National Chocolate Wafer Day, Independence Day, National Barbecue Spare Ribs Day is this week, National Apple Turnover Day, National Bikini Day. Okay, that I'm into. National Bikini Day. National Hand Roll Day, Fried Chicken Day, Hopper Park Day. That must be a Disney. Yeah. Hopper Park Day. National Dive Bar Day is July 7th. I didn't know that, Corey. Yeah. I never even knew there was a National Dive Bar Day. National Father Daughter Take a Walk Day, National Strawberry Sunday Day, and to finish it up, July 7th is National, National Macaroni Day. Macaroni Day. <laughs> Not bad. I guess you can put cheese or whatever you want on it. Boy, I remember when my daughter was young. She ate mac and cheese like every day for two years. That's all she freaking was mac and cheese. Right. Well, you know, we just finished our fourth episode of Marriage Rescue. There's so much going on right now in my world. Taffer Mixologist is probably right now at your local Walmart. Uh, there's seven flavors. Some stores have three or four flavors. Some other Walmarts, about 1,500 Walmarts, have all seven flavors. So we have Bloody Mary mix, uh, a margarita, strawberry margarita, light margarita, cosmopolitan, mojito, 
uh, and pina colada. And I guarantee you they're the best mixers you've ever had. Here's what's interesting. I've been working on Taffer's Mixologist cocktail mixers for years to make them perfect. I want them to be just right. Any cocktail mixer that you ever see, or juice as a matter of fact, that's in a plastic bottle, you don't want to buy. And here's what's interesting. If it's in a plastic bottle, it's got to be filled cold or at room temperature. Being filled colder at room temperature means that it has to have preservatives in it. Our product is hot bottled in glass, so it doesn't have all the artificial preservatives and other ingredients that they have to to make it hold and be shelf-stable in a plastic bottle for months. So I guarantee you, if you try Taffer's Mixologist, you'll really, really love it. It's available at your Walmart stores now. And Taffer's Carbonated Cocktails comes out in uh, third week in August, about a month, uh, about two months from now. Comes out also in Walmart stores across the country, so I'm pretty excited about that. So we got Marriage Rescue going on. We got Taffer Mixologist going on. We got Taffer Carbonated Cocktails going on. And, Corey, there's a lot more going on. Taffer Tavern. We're about to make a big announcement on Taffer Tavern in Las Vegas. I'm pretty excited about it. And we will probably make that announcement next week. But, you know, Marriage Rescue was such a powerful experience for me. You know, going from helping bars, and there was a lot of marriages that I helped along the way with bars, as you all know. But moving into to this arena of helping relationships has made me not only look at my own life, my own relationship differently. And I'm, I have a great marriage. It's taught me that, being on Marriage Rescue and helping other people struggle through their marriages. has taught me how good mine is. But, you know, I look at other people now, Corey. I just can't help it. You know, how do they look at each other? Do they hold hands? You know, do they do this? And I just watch other couples now, and I'm, like, always analyzing. Right. Well, one of my favorite couples ever, and I said this last week, is Jenny McCarthy and Donnie Wahlberg. I just love them. You know, watching their dynamic when we're together, and, you know, look, I'm honored. I'm their friend. So I've heard the two of them talk uh, uh, candidly amongst themselves. And there is no couple who works harder at being a great couple than the two of them. Well, my interview with them last week was so powerful. We had so much to talk about that we cut it into two parts. And right now, when I come back, we're going to hear part two of my interview with Jenny McCarthy and Donnie Wahlberg. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Every car comes with its share of stories. That ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up a first date, the luxury package you got after a big promotion, or the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer. And while you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car is worth when it's time to sell or just trade it in. Just go to True Car, simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's details pop up. Then answer a few questions, navigation, moonroof, etc., and watch as they bump up your value. High mileage? You already knew it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. And once you're finished, you'll get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True car cash offer not available in all states. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. You can watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand all for free. There's no credit card needed and there's no sign up. 
Pluto TV is the easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies. So what are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again. Pluto TV is free on all of your favorite devices. So download Pluto TV today. Taffer's back. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. For whatever reason we're doing your show today, we always felt a kinship with you. We watched your show. We would see you on there in, in the way you would, you know, we, we loved analyzing the people on Bar Rescue that you were working with. We'd be like, wow, this, this woman's going to go back to the pirate bar for sure. <laughs> She's not going to stay with John's plan. She's too, her ego's too wrapped up. She's got too much baggage. She's not going to stick to the plan, right? So we would analyze the way you would. So there's a natural kinship. So I, I would imagine... Jenny won't be the only one who hugs and kisses you when she sees you. I'm going to do the same thing. Uh, I look forward to <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, we, yeah, so, we have, we, I know about Jenny. She's very open, but she also has another side to her. You know, not, And I don't mean this in a negative way. I mean it in a wonderful way. Because we know each other so well, we, we know, you know what's uncomfortable. We know what's not. We know when there's a genuine affection and a respect and an admiration for someone. And when we have, you know, she has to say, well, I have to be polite. Um, so for me, it's, it's the greater thing is I've gone from being what you're talking about, John, did it ever bother me? Does it ever cause any discomfort only in the beginning? Cause I didn't know my wife well enough. Yeah. So, so I can tell now if she hugs somebody, you know, or I can tell now she won't even have to hug someone that she doesn't want to. She won't do that anymore. You know, she's become, we've grown so much that it's like a lot of times she would hug and, oh, because she had to. Right. She does it now. It's because it's someone who's important, someone who, you know, she admires or respects or feels a kinship with. And typically that's someone we both feel a kinship or a connection to. Um, so that's evolved too. As I became less insecure about it because I got to know her more. She started evolving, and, and we would have discussions about why do we have to do things that we're not comfortable doing? Like, you don't have to hug every person you meet. I don't have to hug every person I meet. You know, if, if I'm uncomfortable with it, we, we can set boundaries. But it's not a boundary being set out of fear and insecurity. It's a boundary being set out of strength and, and, and respect and, yeah. and respect for yeah. ourselves. And respect. So yeah. it's not me saying, Jenny, don't hug John Taffer when you meet him. That ain't cool. I don't want him like, <laughs> touching your, I don't want him to see your body against his. That ain't cool. Uh, you know, it's not an insecure thing. It's like, I know if she hugs someone, it's with the utmost respect it's for sincere. me. It's because she has the utmost respect for that person. Yeah. You know, Don, right? when you think about the complexities of both of your lives, and there's really something for the listeners to think about here. You know, young people get married at 23, 24, 25 years old. Uh, you know, when, when you marry Jenny, Donnie, you look at your history, the complexities that existed in your life. Jenny, the complexities that existed in your life, right, as a single mom. When, 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 so you take all of this preconditioning, if you will, the reactions from previous relationships that we have, like that cell phone incident. And then with all of this complexity around you, you find a relationship that's curious to you, Donnie. You meet Jenny. Jenny, you meet Donnie. You wait a week for the phone call, right, if I'm not mistaken, Jenny. Right? He gave him his number. Two weeks for the phone call. He finally calls. Now you're curious about each other. But the amount of negative thoughts and perceptions that are going through you at that time, Donnie, it's all based on the past. It's not based on Jenny or the current at all. So when you think about all those complexities, you have to be conscious about saying, I want to make this work. 
So here's my question, yeah. Donnie. When you think that to yourself, boy, I love this girl. This is the girl for me. I want to spend my life with her. Now you want to trust her. When does wanting to trust become trust? And how did you get it there? Wow. Work. Um, okay, <laughs> so um, the, the it takes a lot of uh, self-work. It really does. Um, so, for example, really my first love in high school, um, the first and only experience I had of really giving my heart fully to someone. I thought I'd done it since then, but I really hadn't. I realized that with Jenny. Um, and in high school, my first love broke my heart and did it for the whole school to see. Like she was seeing this guy before me. I didn't know about it. He lived in another country. He flew over and suddenly he's walking into school every day instead of me. And he's a 30 year old man. <laughs> She's 17. And I mean, I was, devastated and I I looked back and I'd never been in that situation where I'd given myself fully to someone since then and so here's Jenny who if she breaks my heart it's going to be all over the news it's going to be everywhere and Jenny's a very outspoken person so mm -hmm. I'm you know going into this like I'm curious I she's telling me all the right things she's saying everything she's supposed to say but if this goes bad like I have this tremendous fear um, that I didn't realize was connected to my high school girlfriend and yeah. connected to my parents before that and their divorce. Right? So the more so, you open your heart, the greater the likelihood of it getting broken. <laughs> That's the exactly. preconception. And not only broken, but broken in, uh, you know, here I am going into a relationship where I think this is a public relationship. I, what's best for my career is for me to be this free flowing guy. You know, I've, ne I've never even been in a serious relationship since my band reformed. So I'm like, wait a minute, not, not a relationship of this level where it's like, okay, I don't even know how to perform as a guy who has to answer to somebody, right. you know, like this is going to hurt my career. So there were so many things that my ego was saying, like, you're not going to be as good a performer. You're not going to be this. You're going to get embarrassed. She's going to write a book about how you were, you know, uh, but there's a bigger a issue. Relationship. There's a bigger issue. You were in control of your life. And if that ever right. happened, you would completely lose control and be at the mercy of whatever it was that Jenny chose to do. So and that, I, have, I have no one to blame but myself. Right. If, if right. any of that happened. That's my ego story. So, but what I kept seeing in front of me was Jenny, right? Um, never giving me any reason to doubt her. So I would have these conversations where my ego was the devil on one side saying, you're going to get embarrassed. She's going to break your heart. You know, she's one of these times she is going to be on the phone and da, 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 da. And I'm, I got the angel on the other side is my heart saying, look, she's never given you reason to doubt her. She's been true blue at every turn. She's been respectful at every turn. She's put her heart out there. You got to trust it. And so in that, I just kept choosing the love. Yeah. And shutting out the ego. But then eventually I had to learn what was driving the ego and confront that. And that is when I started to work. Um, Jenny and I did work together and I did work on, on myself. I, I, um, I started doing EMDR therapy and went really back into my childhood and to my parents' divorce and all these different things. And it was so profound. Um, not a light bulb moment, but, um, uh, or anything like that, but it's one of the things that I did to um, 
heal myself and help myself. And, and at every turn, I, I didn't. And Donnie, we have afraid to go to therapy. We have What's a similar that? upbringing. I, my dad died, and then I, I went yeah. when I was two. Then I went through a divorce when I was younger as well, and I went through a similar thing. And you know what I found when I did that is suddenly our reactions to things start to make sense to us. Particularly, <laughs> particularly our bad reactions to things. And it's almost, wow, for the first time you're looking at yourself with your pants down, so to speak, realizing that, okay, I'm an ass at these moments because of that, right? Or I'm unreasonable in these moments because of that. Was that a powerful awakening? It's a powerful awakening. And there's so, there's so many layers to that, John. Because yeah. when you wake up to that, you can wake up to it, but then you can have guilt over it. Yeah. You know, you can say, um, okay, hey, I'm sorry, honey. I reacted negatively to this because this and this and this happened in my life. And now I'm sort of programmed to, you know, uh, have an abandonment issue, yeah. right? So then you talk about it and you say it, but you still feel guilty that it happened. Of course. You know, and so that guilt can then spiral into the next problem now you're quiet for a day or two because you're guilty you're not yourself you're withdrawing now jenny thinks something is going on that you're angry at her but you're not you're sort of angry at yourself not really her now i hate myself because i wasn't perfect yeah i wasn't perfect and you celebrate the fact that oh my god i'm having an epiphany i'm scared to be embarrassed in public because my girlfriend in high school embarrassed me in public and the whole school laughed at me and now uh i think you're going to do the same thing it's it's hard to be vulnerable enough to say that you finally say it, and you explain that's why you've been kind of closed off and being a, a grouch and, a, and an ass for three days. You say it, and instead of feeling good, you know, you feel a, a relief for a few minutes, and you feel guilty, like, well, I should have known better. Now she thinks I'm stupid because, you know, I'm letting some high school bullshit impact my relationship. But you can't help it. It's a reflex. And, Jenny, you have it, well, too. Yeah. Certainly. She's going through the same things in her life. Yeah. She's going through the same things in her life. And when she's not... She'll hold the light for me. If she sees me struggling in, in a way that she understands and has gone through and worked through and healed from and grown from, she'll hold the light and vice versa for me. So now yeah. a lot of her family yeah. trauma that came up for her, her family trauma came up for her. I have been through that and worked through that. So I knew how to hold the light for her. So I wasn't judging her. I was loving her and supporting her. And, and it takes time to realize your partner, if they're, they're the right partner, are going to be there and love you more when you go through these things and come out on the other side. So I want to talk about hold the light for a second, because I read that when I was reading about the two of you guys being as prepared as I am, Donnie. And so if, if Donnie is down in a shutdown mode or frustrated or otherwise just in, in a bad place at the moment, then you sort of hand the light to Jenny. And this is a conscious thing that the two of you do, not that there's a physical light. But now, Jenny, you know that you have to be the, the bearer of the positive energy and the force to pull Donnie out of that bad spot. Fair? Is that? A hundred percent. And again, it would be vice versa. But yes, it's basically one person in the relationship needs to stay awake. Yes. Because it's so easy to defend something that your partner says to you that isn't true, you know, or something mean. And instead, you you have to stop, take a moment, some space and say, OK, my partner is hurting right now. I'm going to hold light, which means I'm not going to react. I'm just going to love. And when you do that, your partner is able to see that's the only way your partner is able to see is by when your partner holds the light. And yeah. Donnie's done it so many times for me that it's unbelievable. It's almost like a little miracle that happens. It's a deep concept. In the relationship. 
Very deep and concept. And it works every time. It, it's deep. It's deep in the thought of a relationship, John. But honestly, if we think of it in this context, it's really simple. Our ego is really that little child. And when we're in that shutdown mode and we're thinking the worst of our partner and da, 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 we're, we're, we're empowering the eight year old child within us, right. To throw a tantrum. And what do you do when your eight year old throws a tantrum on the floor? You just watch them. I mean, you're going to, you get, otherwise you're going to beat them. You're Mm -hmm. not going to beat your eight year old child. right? So you just, when our egos are negative attention seeking and it's basically, I'm becoming an eight-year-old child, and Jenny's watching me do it. Rather than judge me and leave me, she's saying, you know what? I'm going to be a loving partner here, and I'm not going to indulge the eight-year-old. When, and hopefully the eight-year-old will see their behavior, stop, and come in the room and want to have a healthy conversation. And that's sort of what happens. Hmm. And in truth, it's really not me handing her the light. Um, a, a lot of times in relationships, the other partner just has to be awake enough to know to take the to light. To take the light, sure. Meaning, yeah, because when you're shut down, you're not going to give it up no, per se. You're shut down. You're not giving up anything. <laughs> right. You don't even want. You don't even want to admit to your partner that you need her to hold the light. We're so so <laughs> and insecure. Or that you need light at all. <laughs> exactly. I don't need any exactly. freaking light. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and when and, and to we, be fair, you know when we're both when we both of us are not conscious or awake, and neither of us can hold the light what winds up happening is a, you know, a, a fight. And yeah. so yeah. in doing the work and being both conscious and wanting to have spiritually grow together, we've gotten really good at it and it so, still takes work, but we've gotten to be way more conscious and present during those situations. Right. So in awake meaning awake, meaning for anyone of the listeners out there, like who may not understand what that means. not like some cryptic talk awake, meaning when you're in that, funk in in your life when you're acting when you, you you know you're mad your partner says a word or a phrase and you're like oh you feel that knife in your stomach and yep. you don't you don't you can't form the word you're so angry but you don't even know what to say um and, and you're worried you're going to say something aggressive so you just start to shut down um which is eventually going to lead to an explosion um that's being asleep you've yeah. fallen asleep you've now left the present moment in your the the post traumatic stress the 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 abandonment in your life all your past stuff from your childhood is now taken over and your inner child your in your ego are now running your brain with a million thoughts of what is wrong with the person in the other room and none of them might be and relevant you, you, none of them <laughs> uh, 99.9% none of it's yep, true yep you know it's almost like sleeping at the wheel of a car you'd go off the road totally you lose control of your future, and, and you crash. Uh, and it's really the same thing. Okay, one last thing that I'm going to let you guys go. I, I, in Marriage Rescue, Donnie, I didn't want anybody to have any makeup sex. So I kept all the couples in separate rooms, had PAs out the room all night long. And they tried to sneak back and forth, and we wouldn't let it happen. I read something interesting about you guys when you get into arguments with makeup sex. You don't allow it, right? Correct. Yep. Donnie, do you want to take it? You can start and I'll chime in. <laughs> so early on in our relationship, um, we, I think it was, you know, we got into a, a fight and you can feel that um, heightened sense of like wanting to make up or you do make up and then it's like, oh, you have this amazing sex. And 
we both kind of made the decision, let's not become addicted to that because it is a heightened experience, but on the wrong vibration. And I didn't want personally to get, you know, into fights just to have heightened sex. I wanted to have make love. And um, it was a rule that we put in early, early on in our relationship. And to me, it's been the smart, a, a genius part of our relationship, I well, think. I always it, thought it's a it, Band-Aid make-up sex, Donnie, because all it does is hide what's wrong for a few hours, but a couple of days later, it's back again, right? It, absolutely. And, and, and not only that, it could become very addictive. You know, the, the intensity of make-up sex is usually the most intense yeah. passionate stuff, right? So um, when, when, you, when you rely on that, then the good time sex is what? You know, <laughs> if all the great stuff is when bad stuff's going on, what's going on during the good times? Right. Right. So, so it changes now, the whole again, purpose of it, doesn't it? <laughs> it changes. Well, it forces us to make up. It forces us to communicate. You know, we go to neutral corners. If you, if I come in the bedroom or she comes in the bedroom after a, a, even a slightest bump or one of us just falls asleep for an hour, we talk. We don't, sex and sometimes we'll say well let's just not do anything tonight let's just wait till tomorrow let the dust settle and really heal from this and if we want to be intimate let's do it tomorrow let's cuddle and just be together tonight and and feel each other's love and not go there Um, really smart what what over time john what happened is we avoided the addiction of break up to make up Mm-hmm. which, you know, um, break up to make up. It's always, yep. it's, you can live a whole relationship of 50 years doing that, <laughs> right? Until someone loses their mind and, and blows their brains out or something, yep. right? So, yep. But for us now, our intimacy, which started off on a great, really amazing level, is it's, it's grown. Wow. It's grown. It's so much better. It's like, because it's never toxic. There's never that, you know, uh, intense trying to make up, we're, we're discovering each other in new ways and the vulnerability that we have with each other. And every time we're more vulnerable and, and surrender to, you know, growth in the relationship and stuff, it becomes greater and greater. And, um, I mean, I can sure Jenny can attest. I went home, uh, two nights ago and, uh, we just had the most amazing night. It was cousin was, we had makeup sex. It wasn't cause we missed each other. It's cause we were so vulnerable and we're, we're growing so much together that it just, it gets better and better and better. And I know for a lot of couples out there, they think it's going to get boring. You know, they think, you know, they. Hello. Did we lose Donnie? I'm still here, but I think we lost Donnie. Yeah. I think he just dropped out. Can you hear me? Yes. Now we can. Okay. So I, I, I don't know if I got to the part of, I got home the other day and uh, Jenny and I had a great thing. Yep. Um, but people in relationships, to, to summarize everything, people go into relationships. You know, a friend of mine said recently, how do you feel? You know, you got married to Jenny and she's it for the rest of your life. She's the only woman you're going to be intimate, intimate with. And I was like, I don't really think about that. That's never entered my mind. In younger relationships, it would have, but yep. not now. Um, right. It's a joy. But the point is, we think going into relationships, guys anyway, in my experience, we think, you know, a lot of times... Uh, it's going to get boring. It's going to get, you know, redundant. There's not going to be any excitement. We're going to get comfortable. If you put the couple first, as we talked about earlier yep. in, this, in this interview, and if you don't 
do things to make it exciting. Like if you don't have makeup sex, if you don't cause drama to play breakup to makeup, but if you work on the relationship and put it first and work on yourself and continue to be vulnerable with your partner, that's when the intimacy grows in ways that you, we don't know because we're not even capable of understanding us because yeah. the average person has never gone there. Yeah. You know, we, we, we're used to these unhealthy relationships that are passed down from our parents to us and all this other stuff. So, you know, there's a levels of intimacy that you don't need self-destructive behavior to get to. It's just working on the relationship, putting the relationship first and working on yourself, you know, you know Donnie, trusting that your partner will do the same. It's like, I don't go to therapy and say, Jenny, why aren't you going to therapy? You're not doing what I'm doing. It's like, no, I want to heal me. And when I heal me and I grow, she has to heal and grow. She has to then say, Oh my God, he's moving towards this personal health and self love that I'm not going there. I got to get there too. It sort of forces the person you force each other to get healthy and stronger individually and collectively rather than what most people do is let's drag each other down and create a toxic relationship that ends up in misery. You know, what's interesting is you almost trusted Jenny before you trusted yourself. I did. You nailed it. Right. And, and, you wow. know, and I think of my relationship when I married Nicole came and coming off, not a great marriage, you know, I had the same kind of defenses and stuff going on and I trusted her again. And I never looked at it this way, Donnie, you really just said that or said those words before it's trusting yourself to do the right thing to grow the relationship. So, you know, to, to button this up, here's what I've learned from talking to both of you and uh, is, is marriages work. And when anybody is listening yep. to this, nobody has a wife more beautiful or enviable than Jenny or a husband more more desirable or successful than Donnie. So, you know, when we think of the jealousies in our own relationships, let's remember that these are two famous people who, who uh, are, are very available to a lot of people if they wanted to be, who don't look at that trust as an issue. The other thing is, is as successful as you both had been in your lives, you didn't trust yourselves to be successful in this marriage. You worked at it right from the get-go, Donnie. You knew that this was a different depth for both of you. So when you entered this marriage, you didn't just rely on your love. You relied on each other growing and fighting for this common goal that the two of you had. It's an amazing story, Donnie, when you think about how you've worked for this, fought for this. Now you're, you're realizing the great fruits, right, of all the benefits of, of opening up and showing your weaknesses, right, and, and submitting to things that you never thought you would before and being more vulnerable than, than certainly the public, Donnie Wahlberg, would ever anybody expect you to be. That's really powerful. And I think, Jenny, that, so well said. that's the lesson of, of Jenny and Donnie, is that love is a great start. But great marriages come from hard work and, and us learning to trust ourselves. Would you agree, yep. Donnie? Glad- yeah. And, and, and the hard work, you know, a lot of people, they shudder at the term hard work. It's the greatest work you'll ever do. You know, anyone who's, who does a job that they love. You know, like, you know, if you love, like you love Bar Rescue, you know, you love doing what you do. I yeah. love my work. Jenny yeah. loves her radio show and, and, and Mass Singer. Yep. We love these things. So we work hard at it. Why wouldn't we work hard at our relationship? You don't think of, I don't think of working on Blue Bloods as hard work in a painful way. I think of it as I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I'm making a TV show. I'm have a career. I'm working with Tom Selleck. This is yep. amazing. Yep. I'll work 90 hours in a row without a, a nap. 
to do this. Why wouldn't we do the same for the person we love? But you so know, many men we, we, would do that and yep. see their wife as the inconvenience. It's completely freaking absurd. No, and I, I can attest to, I am a testament to, when I put my wife first above all else, I, and trust me, John, the fear that you just talked about, the fear that I had wasn't that, you know, it would blow up in my face. My, my ego was like, you're going to lose everything you work for. Like, yeah. you're going down in flames if this relationship doesn't work out. It's the complete opposite has happened. Yeah. Everything's better. Yeah. Everything is better. My my fans love me and respect me more. All the female fans love me and respect me more because I'm a good husband than you know, and I'm sitting here like, I wonder if they're going to still like me now that I'm off the market, you know, like, <laughs> and, and God forbid Jenny ever says something embarrassing about me on TV. They're all going to say, told you so. No, it's the opposite. They respect me. Of course they my, do. My fandom has grown yeah. because of it. And I didn't plan that. It's, I was afraid the opposite would happen. Yeah. Um, it's just by trusting it and putting in the work, everything is better. And it's better because I, in truth, John, the true, true, true bottom line is because being in this relationship, not only have I worked on the relationship, I've had to work on myself so much that I'm, I love myself more now, you know, as a result right. of all the time and effort that I've put into relationships because I've had to work on me too. And I know Jenny is the same way. We, we, we just look around and thank God every day. Like, look at how fortunate we are, how blessed we are. I look at our kids. I look at our life. I mean, we, and we're happy. We're not walking around in a fog, in a cloud, right. um, in misery, in a relationship we don't love. We, we put the relationship first. We've nurtured it. We grow it. And, and it takes work to keep doing it. We're going to keep doing it. But we're committed and we're all in. And, you know, um, I, I fully intend to be with her for the rest of my life. And, and no uh, I, I have no doubt it's going to happen. Of course, because of the way you're, you're going about it and your commitment to each other includes changing yourselves. And that's a big yeah. point that a lot of marriages don't do. And, you know, Jenna, we were talking on your radio show the other day how significance is so key. If somebody's that significant for, to you, you'll do anything. And Donnie will do That's anything right. for you, and you'll do anything for him because there's no greater significance in your lives than each other. Donnie, this has been a pleasure, right. buddy, uh, uh, really enjoyable, and I, I appreciate you sharing this. I think the other great lesson that came out of this is you've learned so much humility through your relationship with Jenny, too, I think, right? For sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, you know, and she's... This is all, you know, there are, we make the choice to commit to these relationships, but, you know, she's the special woman for me. So for guys out there, when you find that special woman, you know, make the choice and commit and, and trust that if you believe that she's that special and, and you have that great feeling about her and, and, you know, do what it takes on your end to make it work. You know, don't try to change her. Um, she'll change on her own when, when, you know, when, when you change, when you do what it takes to make the relationship work, your partner inevitably will do the same if they're lacking or lagging behind, they're going to do it. But in my case, I had a, um, I have a great partner. Jenny's, um, a great teacher. Um, you know, I mean, and, and she'll say the same things about me. Um, she doesn't have to say it now because I know it in her heart. I can see her smiling through the phone, even though I'm in Milwaukee. I am. I'm just smiling this whole uh, interview. I'm like um, loving it. But you have. Yeah, You've done a, absolutely everything great, he's saying. Yeah. yeah. 
So, so uh, same experience. So she's also one of the funniest girls I've ever met, Donnie, and that goes a long way too, right? When you guys are laughing, yeah. there's nothing better than that. Donnie, thank you. Jenny, thank you. You know, I, I, I love you, Jenny. I love you, Donnie. Thank you for for love you too. And uh, Donnie, wait till you see Jenny on Bar Rescue. It's hysterical. You'll get a kick out of it. Um, I can't wait, and I love her so much, and I love you so much that I'm not even jealous that I wasn't on it, too. I'm just excited to see her on it. Gotcha. <laughs> and I'd be dishonest if I didn't tell you I did get a hug and a kiss, buddy. So I just want <laughs> Well-deserved. Wait till you see the hug and kiss I give you. <laughs> I can't wait. Well, hopefully we'll grab a dinner soon together. I can't wait till we do that. And thank you so both. You know, there's such lessons thank in you. your relationship for all of us. And anybody who thinks thank that you. their problems are insurmountable in their relationship, should look at the hard work, Donnie, that you and Jenny have done in yours to make a, you know, a good marriage even better. And, and every one of us can do it if we understand that it starts with ourselves and then goes to, uh, on right. to, 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 to our spouse. Thanks, both of you. That's Hope to see you soon. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Bye-bye. You. Thanks, Donnie. Well, I hope you all enjoyed my interview with Donnie and Jenny as much as I did. They are great, great people. Donnie has gained so much respect from me. When he understands that, you know, life is work, we have to work at bettering ourselves, work at bettering our careers, work at bettering our marriages, bettering our relationships with our children, the people we work with, the people we work for, the people who work for us. You know, Donnie is a great example of what happens when you work on yourself and you look at yourself objectively. Donnie has become a great husband and Jenny has become a great wife because they wanted to be. And the same thing could happen with us. Any of us who are having marital issues and relationship issues, if we put the ego aside, let the brick walls break down like Donnie and Jenny did, you can have a great marriage also. That's what I learned from my interview with Donnie and Jenny. I hope you did too. I'll be right back with audience calls. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Shut it down. All right, John. New week and new callers. Let's Shut it down. So we only have time for one caller this week, but we're going to make sure it's a good one. So, John, this is Mark. Mike, how are you? Nice to meet you. Chicago I'm man, fantastic. huh? Fantastic. Absolutely. I've been a fan of yours since day one. So uh, it's awesome to actually talk to you. Uh, thank you, Mike. My wife is from Chicago. So, uh, and I'm, uh, a, I'm a suburbanite, so I'm from Schaumburg out in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. Of course. I used to go to, to Confetti Nightclub in Schaumburg. Walter Payton used to own a place in Schaumburg called Confetti, oh, yeah, and he owned another place called Studebakers that were out in Schaumburg, and then we used to go to the Snuggery in Schaumburg years ago, which was there for oh, many, many yeah. years. And, of course, you have the, the Woodfield Mall out in Schaumburg. It's a very great suburban area of Chicago. A lot of people don't know this. My daughter was born in Naperville. So, no, wow. So oh, I, I lived in Naperville, and my first company ever that I started on my own was called Taffer Management. And I started it in 1986, and it was on Butterfield Road uh, uh, in Downers Grove in the suburbs of Chicago. And That's amazing. So I lived in Chicago for many years and, and uh, uh, loved it there. My wife is from Chicago, so it's nice to talk to you, Mike. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. So my question is, um, so I work for, let's say, the biggest restaurant chain in the world. Yep. Uh, and I am a fan of your show. So I was wondering, um, you know, based on your show, it's usually a single, uh, a single unit. So you're using consumer data from that area to make decisions. Yep. Does your strategies kind of change when you're developing for, let's say, a national brand or a chain of bars and restaurants? Like how, do you, how do you kind of change up your process, if at all, 
uh, well, when doing something like that? Boy, that's a great question, uh, uh, Mike. You know, it's interesting. In, in a corporate world where it's all corporate restaurants, we go at it one way. In a franchise community, we go at it in another. And uh, I just gave the keynote at the International Multi-Unit Franchise Conference, and I do a lot of brand keynotes. And, and you know, it's interesting. In a franchise community, and I'm going to generalize for a minute, Mike, but I have to. In a franchise community, about a third of the franchisees aren't so good at it. You know, they're not aggressive promotionally. They're not aggressive with company programs and company initiatives. You know, they could be more assertive in many ways. About a third of the franchisees do a pretty good job of it. You know, they're, they're, they're mainstream. You know, they execute pretty well, uh, and they're the backbone of the company. And then about a third of the franchisees are the ones that excel. You know, they jump on those programs. They jump on the initiatives. They're just more enthusiastic operators. So when I look at franchise communities, I always think to myself, well, that bottom third that doesn't react well, you know, we can't do much for them because they're just don't have the energy, the enthusiasm. They're just going to plug along and they're going to be in that lower third of performance criteria and and assertiveness, if you will. So the top third is always going to do well. Whatever new item you implement, right, whatever new program you implement, they're going to jump on board. They're going to do it well. So everything becomes about the middle third in a franchise community. If I can move that middle third, I can really move the needle. Whether it's, you know, a speed of implementing programs, new menu items, sanitation programs, marketing promotion, whatever the heck it is, we find that the top third is going to get there. The bottom third typically is not, but that middle third becomes what's completely palatable. In a corporate environment where everything is company-owned, it becomes very, very different because there's a hierarchy. You know, you as a vice president of a franchise community can't fire a franchisee GM. But in theory, in a corporate-owned store, you can. So, you know, that authority that comes down the chain of command in a corporate environment is very, very different. But, you know, corporate environments don't provide the type of accountability that I believe should be should be established in very many cases. And, and you'll know this because you, you work for a fantastic company in Chicago, one of the biggest in the world. And, you know, there's corporate people who, who, who really inspire general managers. They rock the boat. And then there's, there's those GMs who are mediocre. And they stay forever. And, and, you know, sometimes I find that the worst performance team members are adequate to corporate managers. Now, to me, and this is a little deep, Mike, to me, the bottom 20% in performance of any company should be fired. Period. End of discussion. And, And corporate people placate that bottom 20% too often. So I'm of the belief that, you know, we do rock the boat for improvement. We do shake the boat for improvement. Companies like yours can be so huge that, you know, turning that battleship takes forever. You know, the absolutely, other, absolutely. The other thing that I've learned, and I laugh at this with Bar Rescue, and I, I told the story at the franchise convention that I was at a few weeks ago, is companies like yours take forever to do menu changes, implement new food programs, menu changes. You know, when I go to Bar Rescue, I've got about 48 hours to put together the menu, the concept, the recipes, the food specs, and everything. And I always wondered, what would happen if a company like yours could implement 20% faster? How powerful would that be in a marketplace, to be able to react to market conditions 20% faster, et cetera? In corporate environments, it's hard to do that, Mike. You know that. In a beast of your size, it's hard to implement things that quickly. So that slowness of process sometimes gets us past the power curve. You know, we implement things a little too late. 
So to make you a long story short, you know, that middle third of the franchise community is critical. The independent operator, I can move really, really quickly. A company like yours always starts strategic, then becomes tactical then becomes you know, implemented from that tactical standpoint. You guys spend months on strategy before you get to tactic. But you have to with a company your size. So there's no quick solution when you're that big, is there? Oh, absolutely not. No, I agree with your uh, – and, and the thought process, too, we actually – you know, we always have uh, business executives come and speak on, you know, strategy and how, how, do we, uh, how do we implement things faster and your point of it's almost the middle people that you want to affect. It's not necessarily who you would normally expect uh, to be an influencer in the organization. Yep. It's if you could get those, uh, I guess they call them, you know, a maven would be somebody who's, I want the newest thing. I want, I want it now. I want cutting edge. But then there's kind of those switchers who you have to kind of convince. And once those people are convinced of your strategy, they actually influence more people than let's say, the maven or the really high performance. So that's oh, I agree. absolutely is something that I think. You know why? Because um, the, you know, the mediocre performer, when, when, they, when they hit a home run, other mediocre performers notice it. And they say, wow, I can do that too. But, you know, when the top-tier franchisees do things, it's expected of them. You know, they're different than I am. They do those things. We don't do them well. It's not as relatable as when, when, when you know, the middle group of franchisees actually hit that, you know, hit those numbers and, and create an impact. But I must tell you, I I don't want to mention your company name, but we both know who we're talking about. I think the innovations and the work that you guys have done these past few years has been fantastic. I think the work that's, that's happened awesome. with your stock value, with your product, the way the way that you're going about it, you know, I think that the company is is surprisingly fluid for its size, and has yeah, done. We're a- definitely trying. So, I'm actually uh, I'm one of the corporate chefs, so I help develop the new things. Um, but like I said, even though that is more my function, I do look at our businesses, uh, you know, holistically and, you know, I try to influence, uh, as much as I can, the other parts of the business, but, um, you know, you are, I quote you quite often in the, uh, in the office. So once again, thank you very much for, uh, for the show, your expertise and everything that you do. I'm a big fan. Uh, thank you, Mark. I'm a big fan of your work too, buddy. You guys are great at what you do. Matter of fact, I think I'm gonna go get myself a hamburger right about now. Nice. Take care, buddy. All right, have a good one. Shut it down. Listen, I'd really love it if you'd be on the show. You can challenge me, argue with me, disagree with me, agree with me, whatever you like, but the more challenging, the better. Just send an email to podcast at johntaffer.com, podcast at johntaffer.com. Corey will open those emails. He'll set it up with you, and then you and I will talk on a podcast, and we'll have some fun. And by the way, while you're at it, don't forget to hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts or go to podcast.com or the Podcast One app, and you'll get your new episodes every Tuesday. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Well, this was a lot of fun this week. I want everybody to have a great, great July 4th weekend. I'll talk to you all next week. And happy birthday, America. Happy birthday to you.